This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore, in for Sasha Ann Simons. Supply chain issues, labor shortages, the great resignation, inflation. It's been quite a year when it comes to the economy. Many businesses across industries are having a hard time hiring workers right now. In some cases, that's led to slowdowns in products making it to shelves, lags in customer service, even businesses forced to shutter. So what to do? Advocates for the formerly incarcerated say people who have spent time in prison could be the answer. Think about every job you've applied to. You probably had to answer whether you've been convicted of a misdemeanor or a felony. Some studies show that answering yes decreases your chances of getting a call back by almost half. Here to give us some context is Brandon Williams. He's a supervising attorney of criminal records at Cabrini Green Legal Aid. Hi, Brandon. Hi, I appreciate you inviting me on your show today. So, Brandon, how are your clients affected by these barriers to employment? Being in this industry for a number of years, I come in contact with a lot of people who have been impacted by the justice system. And we know, based on my experience, that employers frequently and unfairly refuse to hire people with records because of the stigma associated with contact with the criminal legal system. And this can affect people just with a arrest record, not even a conviction. So I know from experience that having a criminal record affects people in many ways in regards to employment, to housing, and regarding to education. Who is affected disproportionately? Black people are the most people affected, and statistics show that they uh, are more impacted than other people color and uh, and also white people. How do you work with people to seal and expunge records at Cabrini Green Legal Aid? Um, not only do we assist people for free to research their criminal record, draft their petitions, and show them how to file their petitions in the different counties throughout the state of Illinois, we also are able to represent people at their expungement and sealing hearings before a judge to assist them in getting their records cleared. What about people whose records can't be sealed or expunged? So in a situation where somebody can't get their records sealed or expunged because of what we call a waiting period, because you have to wait three years after a conviction to seal your record, or if you have a type of conviction that can't be sealed or expunged, we help with what are called alternative forms of relief. Alternative forms of relief are what uh, I call certificates of rehabilitation, or what we call healthcare waivers, or there's also something called FDIC waivers. These type of records or documents assist people in getting employed in different industries. For example, a certificate of good conduct could assist somebody in getting a job with Chicago Public Schools or Chicago Transit Authority. And a healthcare waiver can assist those to work in the non-licensed healthcare industry, such as certified nursing assistants and things of that nature. And then a certificate of relief for disabilities can assist people to get licenses who have some type of criminal background. And those licenses include real estate license, cosmetology, and even mortuary licenses. Why do you think it's important for employers to change their attitudes about hiring people who have been incarcerated? And, and really, are they able to change their, their attitudes? Well, to answer your last question, absolutely they can change their attitudes. And the reason is, um, again, statistics show that people with backgrounds 
once they get hired, um, they're usually five in those positions. They do very well, and they stick for those positions because that enables them to provide for their family and themselves and, and their kids that need be. So just to get rid of that stigma and also to deal with the built-in racist disadvantages that are compounded by a criminal record, employers certainly have the opportunity and can be instrumental in getting rid of the stigmas that are associated with a criminal record. But what do you say to people who are still reluctant, who say, you know, I don't want to hire someone with a record? What if they do something bad? <laughs> um, you know, there, there's still that, that hesitancy there. What kind of conversations do you have with those employers? As I mentioned before, um, one of the things that the Alternative Foreign Relief do is it can shield employers from any civil or criminal liability if that person were to commit some type of crime while under their employment. And so that's one benefit of, of people who are getting that uh, certificate so that employers can feel uh, a little bit more at ease if they think they need to just because they're hiring somebody with a criminal record. Secondly, um, again, the statistics of recidivism in regards to repeating or com committing another crime drops significantly if a person has state employment. How do you think labor shortages and supply chain issues would be affected by an increased willingness from employers to hire formerly incarcerated individuals? There, this, there is a segment of people with records that are ready and willing to you know, be in gainful employment. And I believe employers are ignoring this segment of society just because of their background. I can tell you that there are corporations who are taking chances and who are giving opportunity for people to be employed by the criminal justice system, one being J.P. Morgan Chase, who started the Second Chance Initiative. And there are about 15 to 20 other corporations and organizations that have joined the Second Chance Initiative, which basically um, enable people to have, with records to have a, a second, as they name it, a second chance at gainful employment, not just you know, working in as a cashier in a fast food place, but I'm talking about white-collar jobs. That's Brandon Williams, Supervising Attorney of Criminal Records at Cabrini Green Legal Aid. Thanks for joining us. I want to bring in another voice into the conversation. Pierre Laguerre founded a trucking company called Fleeting, and he has a goal that 10% of his workforce will eventually be composed of people who were formerly incarcerated. He joins us now to tell us more. Pierre, tell us how you came to the trucking industry. Oh, man, thank you for having me. I myself came from Haiti, um, came here when I was 15, and I came here with a dream of being a neurologist. And unfortunately, where I landed in Brooklyn, New York, I like to call it the rotten side of the apple. And the norm was really, you know, nothing but drug dealing and gang banging, seeing young brothers losing their life early to gang violence, seeing young women being, you know, on drugs. And I quickly realized there was no way I'm going to be alive to graduate it here and become a neurologist. And I started thinking, what is it that I can do to not become a statistic, to not become a product of that environment? And believe it or not, trucking became my escape. And I said, maybe I'll get my CDL and drive a truck and escape that community. And now I've realized it was the best decision that I've made. So chose trucking just to escape that community. And I believe there's millions of other young men that look like me that can also use a CDL as an escape for their current situation. I hear that Brooklyn accent, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> Um, tell me, how has your company been impacted by labor shortages and supply chain issues in the trucking and shipping industries? 
I mean, every trucking company can say for sure that they feel the impact of the driver shortage. But for us, we can say uh, maybe we are blessed to say that we haven't really seen the impact of shortage, maybe simply because our business model is different from traditional trucking. Um, traditional trucking, drivers have to at least, you know, work six days a week, 14 hours per day. That's if they're local. And you have the over-the-road driver. Those drivers are doing 30 days on the road and only coming home to see their family two days and then have to get right back on the road. But our business model, we actually give the power back to the driver. We allow the driver to tell us his availability, what days he's willing to work, how many days he's willing to stay on the road, and how much he's looking to earn. And based on that, we actually leverage technology to pair that driver with a schedule that matches. So drivers are not now have to be on the road for 30, 40 days, our drivers can pick and choose when they want to work. So we've seen a lot of success in that. And maybe that's one of the reasons that we're not filling the pinch of the driver shortage. What do you make of the many strategies companies are using to hire and retain workers, such as sign-on bonuses, higher base wage? One of the biggest challenges is, yes, I would say that pay is very important for a driver. Yes, uh, you know, offering a bonus can be attractive to drivers, but it really doesn't really create retention, right? And as a matter of fact, I'm a firm believer that bonuses create more driver turnovers because what it does is, okay, well, I'll come over here and get a bonus for $10,000, work for nine months, and then quit, go get another job and get another bonus. So I don't think bonuses is really what's helping drivers um, or companies retain drivers. I think we really have to take the approach of really understanding what is it that works for the driver? What is it the driver is looking to get? What is the driver's goal? And a lot of companies fail to take that approach because they don't look at the driver as a valuable asset. They look at the drivers as a commodity. But if you really get to understand what does the driver want, it's not just money. The driver wants to be treated like a human being. He doesn't want to be treated like a commodity. The driver wants to have the flexibility. And one of the most important things is drivers are asking for upward mobility. They're tired of starting as a driver and dying as a trucker. Truckers are leaving trucking to go drive Uber and Lyft. Why is that? Because why would I come and get my CDL and become a, become a truck driver into this age and drive on the road for 30 days and make peanuts for somebody when I can actually drive a Lyft or Uber and be home every week and make $1,000 and sleep in my bed every night? So that's the problem now we have, the driver shortage. The average age of a truck driver is 49 years old. This next generation that we have, they're not going to put up with the traditional way of trucking. Trucking is still stuck in the 20th century. It's very fragmented. So we believe in order to really change the million truck driver shortage, it's not by creating a million of today's truckers. I believe we have to create at least 5 million of tomorrow's truck drivers. And those drivers, what they're gonna want is not just a regular job. They're gonna want life, balance, and culture, and an opportunity to learn. Maybe they wanna become executive in supply chain sometime in their lives. Maybe they wanna become a fleet owner and manage their own businesses. Maybe they wanna own a distribution center. So I think the millennials or the new generation, I would say that will come in trucking, they're not just gonna be your regular average truck driver that's gonna spend 30 days on the road. It's gonna be a new generation of truckers. So our goal here is first is to destigmatize trucking, remove the traditional way trucking operate, and give the driver the full control of his schedule, of his earnings, and let that driver have an ecosystem to where they can learn the real side of the business. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Pierre Laguerre, founder of a trucking company called Fleeting. Pierre, you're set to roll out a CDL training program for people who are finishing up their prison or jail sentences. Why is it important that you hire people who have been incarcerated? 
Man, this is a very, very important mission to me. Um, so there's multiple reasons why. Number one, I was brutally attacked in Brooklyn myself in 2018 and almost lost my life. And I was in a coma for a couple uh, for about two, three weeks. And I quickly realized that I had the opportunity also myself as a young black man to pick up a gun or a knife and go for retaliation. But I also quickly realized that, okay, well, I am part of the cycle, right? If I go out there and do anything stupid, I'm not doing anything good, but keep you know, the vicious cycle of violence going on in our community. And that's when I quickly realized, I said, man, those young brothers that did that to me, what would have they, what would have they would have came to me and said, Pierre, what do you do for a living? You look nice. This is a nice car. Nine out of 10, I probably would have said, hey, I own a trucking company. I could show you how to become a truck driver and own your own trucks. But the reality is, you know, a lot of times we live in communities where we don't know how to get anything ourselves and we don't have access to it. So we might as well take it from somebody else. So that experience left me in the hospital with 67 staples in my head, almost died. And it quickly became part of my mission once I realized there's about 250,000 former incarcerated individuals in our streets annually. And there is no ecosystem that helps these individuals with um, employment, that help them with housing. And nine out of 10, these individuals end up recommitting, end up right back into the same system that they just came out of. So if we look at it is, Every time somebody gets incarcerated, our tax dollars are actually going into those prisons to support those individuals. How about now we take our tax dollars and train and educate those individuals to obtain their CDL? The country's already short a million truck drivers. How do we train them, give them the curriculum? Every individual know three months prior to their release that they will be coming home. So our goal is prior to their release, give them the curriculum to start studying to obtain their permit upon release. As soon as they come out, they can go to DMV and take the written test and obtain the permit. Once they obtain the permit with their training, now our job as a company is to now pair them with an existing driver that have at least three to five years of experience to start doing on the road training before they become solo drivers on themselves. And as the early gentleman mentioned on the call, we believe that that definitely reduced the recidivism rate. It really prevent uh, individuals from recommitting crimes, but also it helps them become very loyal in a sense because they know they don't have an opportunity to get jobs when they come out, but once they do find one, they become very loyal employees. But also we can also solve our supply chain issues with those drivers. I know I'm saying a lot now, but one thing I want to add to that point why it's very important to look at those opportunities. A lot of time we think a supply chain issue is just a supply chain issue. It has nothing to do with us. And I'm here to tell everybody that's a lie. A supply chain logistic issue is an issue that can affect every American citizen. If we don't have drivers to move our goods from point A to point B, our country stops. 74% of everything we touch are moved by trucks. If truck stops in three days, in a week, this country will be covered in waste. Our food supply will stop. Our supermarket will be dry. There'll be complete anarchy. So in a sense, yes, supply chain issue is an issue that can affect every American citizen. So I urge every American citizen, I urge every corporation to look at what is it that we can do to all those 250,000 talents that are coming out looking for opportunities. We can create an ecosystem to really teach them, to really give them the tool and empower them to put them in a path to success. And I believe that impact not only will impact the uh, individual uh, personally and their family, but that's a huge impact for our community. That's an impact for our world, for our country. So I think it's very important that we I look at that to actually provide that value because trucking, again, took me from a dangerous community to be where I am today. And I believe in giving second chances to let individuals find the best version of themselves. Thank you for sharing that life-changing story, which could have gone really differently for you. 
tell me, when we talk about upward mobility and the type of career paths that are there for, for truckers, how much could a truck driver make without a college education? Man, that's a great question. And right now, trucking is one of the only industry left where you can come without a college education. In your first year, yes, because you have to get experience, you might make $45,000, $50,000, up to $60,000 your first year. But after your second year, as an experienced driver, for a company driver, you can make up to 80, 90K a year. But if you also decide to become an owner-operator where you purchase your own truck, you can do up to a quarter of a million dollars a year in revenue. Even more, wow. especially in today's market. So yes, so imagine a formerly incarcerated getting a CDL, making $60,000 a year for the first year, and in two years, he learned the ropes. He understand how to build businesses. He understand how to run his operation and making $250,000 a year. What life can that person live? They're now they'll be able to put some money away for their college tuition for their children. They'll be able to, now they'll feel more like they're part of a community. And I think that's one of the things that we have to look at when we talk about formerly incarcerated. We cannot just outcast them like they don't belong in our community. They live in our community every day. What we need to do is make them feel whole, make them feel like they're part of the community. The more we keep outcasting them as someone that, hey, look, you're bad, you already done this, although you paid your crimes to society already, but you're just bad, the more we're going to put them in a position to keep doing the things that doesn't align with our, com our community and society. So I think we really have to look into that to say, okay, well, how do we bring these individuals in and really teach them what is it that they need to do to be great citizens? What do you think would happen if more companies hire people with criminal records? Man, I think we'll see a huge shift. Uh, a huge shift. As you can see, every corporation right now is struggling for labor shortages, right? And I think if if that happened, I think what's really, really the end goal, what you're going to see is once a lot of companies start doing it, there's going to be a domino effect, right? Then every other company is going to be more open to the idea of giving formerly incarcerated people a chance. But let's say if that was really happening, I think we can really start saying now we have a way of solving our pipeline, our industrial prison pipeline issue. So I think by creating those employment opportunities and corporations start giving second chances, we can start seeing a better country, number one, and we can start seeing better communities. We can start seeing safer communities for especially for the young men, the 15 years old, the 16 years old. What we're not seeing is they look up to those formerly incarcerated, right? So if we can target those individuals and put them in a better path, our 16-year-old, 15-year-old sons and daughters that are looking up to these individuals a lot of times that we don't pay attention to that, they can say, okay, well, if this person was able to turn their life around and become this successful individual, me that's living in a dangerous neighborhood, I have a chance. I can make it happen. Now... That's actually a way for us to really solve our community issues, to minimize the amount of crime that we're seeing in our communities. I'm not saying, you know, giving it and formerly incarcerated will stop all crimes in communities, but I can definitely say for sure, especially in our communities, we can see how we can minimize those, um, those crimes. That's Pierre Laguerre, founder of Fleeting. Thank you so much for joining us today, Pierre. Thank you for having me.